Welcome to the 100 Podcast. It's Ed and Charlie here with you. Hope you're well. Today, we are doing one of our special mailbag episodes. That's where we answer your questions about the 100. You've sent in some cracking questions for us, and we're going to answer them. If you want your questions answered on the next mailbag podcast, you can get in touch on Twitter at Podcast 100. Drop us a DM there, reply to one of our tweets, whatever you want to do, and we will answer your question on the next mailbag. Charlie, how are you doing firstly before we get into the questions? Yeah, yeah, I'm good, thanks. I'm looking forward to answering some questions today, actually. I'm, I like to talk about the 100. That's why, I'm, that's why I do 100 podcasts. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to getting stuck in. And there are some really, really good questions this week. As the last one, we won't, I won't say what it is now, but the last one is really, really class. I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be a good conversation. Uh, let's get started with a question from Mark Rhodes. Mark, thank you very much for this one. He asks, would you like to see the ECB break even more new ground by including a mixed all-star game to bring the curtain down on the tournament? Well, I think he means that it's having an all-star game with the very best players, both from the men's and women's women's competition playing in the same game maybe at Lords maybe at Edge of Aston whatever and not to do with the tournament just a fun one-off game to play which which might be fun yeah it might be fun actually like I, I do I see him doing it next year probably not but I do think that if these would be really serious about the whole men and women being on an equal playing field which they should be then I think it would be a really nice idea actually like it's just a nice no strings attached game and ultimately it's fun and for me that's what the tournament should be about having fun I would be happy to see this go out. I think that'd be fun. I'd really like to see a kind of all-star game. I think it'd be really fun. I know it doesn't really happen in British sports, but in American sports, I don't know if they do it in baseball. They have a break in the middle of, tour- middle of the tournament for it. They do it in the NFL as well. It's fun. They do it in the basketball, probably the biggest addition of the all-star game in the NBA. It's great. I do think that it would be really, really fun to do. I probably wouldn't have a mixed game. Just in my opinion, I think, I don't think we should be saying to women that, you you know, what you should be doing is aspiring to play in the same game as men necessarily. And I think it just opens up all these different, uh, I don't know, different questions from people who really shouldn't be, you know, talking about it, whatever. But what I'd really like to see genuinely is just, is two games, men's and women's are the very best players. I think it would be really, really fun to have that. Um, probably on the same day, maybe at a secondary ground uh, where the final isn't being held. But I think it'd be fun. Just imagine it, because I think what you probably do, what I do is probably have it the day before the final. And so the six teams who didn't get to the final, you'd pick the best players from them. So, for example, let's say uh, in the women's tournament, the Southern Brave are already in the final. Let's say the Trent Rockets get there. You could have Shafali Verma, Izzy Wong from the Birmingham Phoenix, you know, uh, Katie George, Sarah Taylor, Hayley Massey from the Welsh Fire. Get all of those players into two different teams. I think it'd be really fun. So, yeah, I think I think it'd be class. Probably wouldn't do a mixed one, because I think let's just put a women's game on prime time and promote it that way. Would be my thought on it. Yeah, I, I totally see that. To be honest, like. The idea of making a mixed all-star game is not something I've actually thought about prior to asking me this question. I, I can yeah. see why I can see why there would be, you know, maybe issues with that. And I can definitely see the wrong kind of people making the wrong kind of comments about it. Not that, that should be the reason why it stopped, but I w- I'm not I'm not against the idea at all. I think it would be fun, but I I can see your issues. I can see your point. Yeah, all-star game, I am all for it. Let's get it. Imagine Adam Milne steaming in for, I don't know what you'd call the teams. Adam Milne steaming in uh, alongside, I don't know, Shaheen Sharafi when he plays in the all-star game. Something like that. That could be really, really fun. I think you'd probably be three overseas again, but I think that'd just be, that'd be class. And I think sometimes cricket forgets that things can be fun. 
Like, it doesn't have to be a game that matters. You don't have to have a game that matters. It could just be great. You could put it on TV, promote it. I think it'd be fabulous. And I'd love to see the very best of the men's and women's tournament playing each other. So I am all for an all-star game. And what might be good is putting the men's game first and the women's games after. So having them in prime time, if you want to promote it that way. I think that'd be cool. So all for it. I think it'd be really, really fun. And I think what we might do after the after the tournament ends is create our little own all-star teams. I think that might be fun. Do a little that draft, get fun. to pick it together. That would be and fun. We, like, yeah. I think we should do it proper, like, playground football teams. Pick one each. We should do it. Yeah, we should do it the way that you remember when they did the, um, the, the cricket league in the USA. Was it Warney took it over there? I don't know if you remember this, but they had all of the old players playing a cricket league in the USA. And Warney was one of the captains. I can't remember who the other captain was. They might have been um, Imran Khan or something. But they all got these like 50-year-old cricketers from like Malcolm Marshall to like Andrew Simons, all of this. And then like the two captains would pick them one by one. And I think we should do it like that. I think that would be fun. Yes. Yes, yes absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> I think it'll be fun. Yeah, so we're all for an all-star game. We'll have our all-star squad after the tournament, shall we? Let's move on to a question from Chris Morgan. Thank you for this, Chris. He says, recently we've seen players miss out through injury and COVID. That's missing out on games. But communication of this to the fans has been poor. For example, Adam Milne's injury wasn't mentioned at all on official 100 channels and had to be found by kind of searching through journalists' Twitter accounts. So I guess the majority of cricket fans don't necessarily follow. And there's obviously no word on Tom Abel's injury progress either. Tom Abel been injured throughout the tournament for the Birmingham Phoenix. Do you think team news communication needs to be improved? Simple answer for me, yes. Just yes. Yeah, I have to agree, actually. I, and I think there's a really easy way of doing this as well, by, and it's simply by giving each team a dedicated Twitter account. They've all got their own Instagrams, and that's lovely and everything. But I feel like just having a Twitter account for each team makes so much sense, and it's such an obvious channel for this kind of communication to go through. I want to know if players are playing or not, and if they're not, I want to know why. You know, even as far as actually announcing the teams it always comes out a little bit later there's always like a 15 minute lag between them going out on sky and bbc and then coming out on twitter and social medias and i feel like that isn't really acceptable i know it's always you know i know comparing to football is you know it's a different ball game of quite literally but i i feel like they're always so on the ball announcing stuff and this just isn't and i feel like if the ecb want to compete with that kind of level of sport they need to be doing that too but that's just my personal opinion yeah, I think it's important if you're going to build buy-in to these franchises, if people are genuinely going to actually support teams and look beyond it as a fun day at the cricket. And there's nothing wrong with just enjoying a fun day at the cricket and not necessarily knowing what's going on. That's not a problem. But if you are going to have people buying into these sides and buying into the tournament beyond the month it's on or so, you're going to want them to know. And I do think they should just bite the bullet and give every team a Twitter channel. And I know there'll be all this negative comments from various people who don't like the tournament, whatever. Uh, but just block them. Just block them. If they comment something rude or nasty, just block them. And you know what? Let's just get it out there. And let's not be... I think the 100 should be timid in its approach to popularizing and promoting the tournament just because there are lots of people on Twitter who will say annoying stuff I, let's just let's just get on with it and ignore them and move on and i think it's important because as a you know as a podcast that likes Birmingham phoenix we'd love to know when tom abel's back and um, it'd be nice to know colin ackerman had an injury for leicestershire before the manchester originals tournament started didn't play on the team i'd have loved to know when colin ackerman was going to get back and 
Look, there's probably not a fan who is travelling to a game to watch Colin Ackerman or Tom Abel play, as good as they are. But it would be nice to know when it gets to that stage if that happens. So I'd love to see every team get a Twitter account. I think that'd be class. You say no one's travelling to Tom Abel, but, and this maybe says more about me than it does about other people, genuinely, <laughs> like, I, on the last couple of days, I've woke up in the morning and I have searched on Twitter, Tom Abel, and just seen <laughs> if anyone was putting out there. If anyone was saying Tom Abel was, was, was fit to play, because I was very, very keen for him to play the other night for the Phoenix um, to come in for Mo and Ali. I was very excited for that. Sadly, didn't happen. But, you know, I, I wanted to see it. And I guess if there was a Twitter account, I would have known. Our next question is from Andrew Palachati. Thank you for this, Andrew. He asks, who are your top five spin bowlers for the tournament so far? Well, I think we'll, we'll go through this one by one. But I think the obvious best spinner in this tournament has been Adil Rashid. I think, I think he's been absolutely class. And a supercharged bowling lineup that has quite a few weaknesses, Adil Rashid has been brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. I think him with his, uh, with his spin twin, Majiba Rahman, they've been superb together, haven't they? I think he's another name I'd like to potentially put in the line for this top five. I think they've really done a lot of heavy lifting for the supercharged. I think that's fair to say, but why wouldn't you give them the bulk of the work when they're as good as they are? They've been great to watch. Kay's Ahmad, I think, as Ben Jones said on the podcast a couple of days ago with him, it has the highest Crickviz impact for the 100 so far. He's probably the lesser known of the four Afghanistan spinners who played in this tournament, Rashid Khan, Mohamed Nabi, and Majib Rahman, as you mentioned, but he's been class. The Welsh Fire Bowling lineup again. Maybe not the strongest, but he has been absolutely fantastic. You know, seven games. He's taken eight wickets, you know, at an economy rate of seven. I think teams have started to just play him out a bit, which I think is a is a really, you know, it shows how much respect they have for him. I've been really, really entertained. I think Kazar has been class. We obviously have seen him. He played for the Hobart Hurricanes in the Big Bash. I think that was kind of one of his big breakouts early on I think that's the first time I really saw him bowl a great deal and he's playing some CPL stuff and he'll get an IPL proper IPL starting gig soon because he's been fantastic this tournament oh he has I think there's a lot of pressure on him at Welsh Fire because as you said the bowling attack isn't the strongest and he really is by far the best bowler they have so there is a lot of pressure on his shoulders but I think he's dealt with it admirably uh, for a, a guy of his age, I think he's just done so well handling that pressure, leading that attack. He's been superb for them, and it's been great to see. I think he really is giving them a fighting chance, really. It's just down to him. He's a superb cricketer. He is, and they're very lucky to have him. I think the fact they picked him up in the mid-rounds looks incredible business now. Uh, you mentioned Mujibur Rahman briefly. His economy rate of 7.1 has, is really impressive, given the overseas bowling, where he's bowling for them. And, you know, I think Mujibur Rahman is a class player. There was a couple of years pre-pandemic where I think teams had started to work him out a little bit. He got badly hit in the IPL by Mohamed Nabi and struggled to get game time there. And he didn't have the best Afghanistan Premier League even in 2019, I think. But he's come back with a bang. I think he's working on a couple of different variations. He definitely seems more in control of his game than he did in 2019. He's been absolutely fantastic. So really, really impressed with him. And then, you know, Rashid Khan has been expensive at 8.4 runs and over he's going for at the moment. Uh, he's taken nine wickets, though. There have been loads of really impressive guys. Matt Carter's bowled well. Tom Hartley's bowled well. You know, there have been some really, really impressive you know, uh, performances from the spinners. In Mohamed Nabi, the economy at 6.75 in the six games he's played. You know, I think 
spin is definitely a huge part of the hundred, and it's showing with how good all these guys have been. Yeah, it is. I, I'm. I'll be honest with you, Andrew. I'm struggling to nail it down to just the top five. I think because, mm. as you said, there's just been so many, and I think each team is really. I guess, embracing the whole spin-to-win philosophy here. We're just seeing so many successful spinners in this tournament. I'm going to echo Matt Carter. I think Matt Carter has been really good. He's had a couple of slightly more expensive games on the, on the back end of the, of the group stage, but on the whole, I think he's been really, really good for Trent Rockets. Admittedly, the, the pitch in this out they have that Trent Bridge does suit him, but he's bowling really well, and ultimately, you can only bowl on the track you've been given, can't you? So... I think he's been doing really well. Tom Hartley as well. I, I really like what he offers. Uh, and Matt Parkinson, mm. of course. We haven't yeah, said Matt Parkinson, Parkinson yeah. so far. But Parkinson is obviously quality. He gives it some serious rips. I I, I like the Manchester spin attack quite a lot, actually. Yeah. Harrison, Hartley and Parkinson. I really and like Colin Ackerman. Sorry. Can sorry. we just love that? Sorry. I am sorry. sorry. Disrespectful. <laughs> um, no, but I, I would agree. I think Matt Parkinson, obviously, is just a, a class apart. I think leg spin's been really great in this tournament. Rashid, Kays Ahmad and Parkinson. That's been really, really impressive. Um, I know we can't include him in this seriously, but uh, can we just can we just talk briefly about Colin Ackerman as a bowler? The other night where the Manchester Originals went for 200 against the Northern Superchargers, Colin Ackerman bowled 20 deliveries for 17 runs. The rest of the Manchester Originals attack bowled 80 deliveries and went for 179 runs. That, that is king stuff from Big Colin. Netherlands looking good with a spin attack of Colin and Roloff Andamura in the World T20. Watch out, guys. No mystery, just vibes. It's going to be great. <laughs> I love Netherlands cricket so much. Colin, honestly, is good. He is the only spinner they have who turns it away from the left-hander. Yeah, it's important. Interesting. Yeah, it is. It is important, genuinely. And we said this before the tournament and at the start of the tournament. Colin is actually really important to the original balance because he just gives them that option. He bats them before and he's generally spinning, turns it away from the left hander. He's very important to that team. He is. And also with the bat, I think he's just a stabilizing presence in the middle order. You know, he's played some good innings, good knocks, and I think he's important to them. Next question is from Albert Davies-Smith. Thank you for this, Albert. He asks, how can I watch cricket tactically as a beginner? Now, Albert is new to the game relatively with the 100. He's kind of watching a bit more now, and he wants some tips on how he can watch it with a more analytical eye and kind of say some clever things down at the pub. So... This is really interesting because I, I was thinking about this, about how you can actually kind of watch it, I guess, without a really deep knowledge um, of the game. And I think it's pretty simple, in my mind anyway. It's basically just to look at what the bowling team is trying to achieve. I think when you look at what the bowling team is trying to achieve, you understand a lot more about what's going on in the game. So, for example... Um, let's say uh, the Northern Superchargers are playing and Chris Lynn and Adam Lyther at the top of the order. And maybe you open up with an off spinner, say the Welsh Fire open up with Glenn Phillips. Well, you can sense there that, you know, if they're opening with an off spinner, they're probably guessing that the, the, the two batters are struggling a bit against the spin. And so you can kind of work it out through that way. You can look at, you know, whether the bowlers, whether seam bowlers trying to bowl wide or whether he's trying to attack the stumps. Uh, whether they're bowling slower balls kind of into the surface. I think you can pick up a lot of things from that. So, so balls into the surface, see how it's gripping. Um, what are they trying to stop the batters do? Are you trying to keep it out of their arc over mid-on or are you, you know, trying to tuck them up for room? I think when you watch what the bowling team is trying to achieve, the kind of matchups that they're trying to force, whether that's the ball spinning away from the batter or extreme pace against certain players, you can pick up 
both you know a sense of how the game's going, but also a sense of what the batting team's strengths are, if that makes sense. So for me, on a kind of basic eye, um, just try and look at what the bowling team's doing. I think you can glean a lot from that. Yeah, I would agree, actually. I think it's a very, very nice summary, actually. I think matchups in general are a really good place to start because it is a very simple way of boiling down the game to its purest essence, which is a batter versus a bowl. That's what the game is, ultimately. And so I think a really easy way to, I guess, digest that and be a bit more analytical about it is exactly as you said, looking at those matchups and just investigating how they work. Another thing I think is also interesting and might be helpful for you, Albert, is looking at what the batting team are doing, in particular, which batters they're using at any particular time of the game. For example, if the, bowl, if the bowling team are using a lot of spin, then it's probably likely that they're going to want to send in a batter next who is good at hitting spin. For example, Birmingham Phoenix, they've got Moeen Ali, who is probably the best hitter of spin in world cricket in T20 at the moment. He's certainly up there for me. So when the spin comes on, they're probably going to want to send him in. On the other hand, if you've got someone like Lewis Gregory versus the Trent Rockets, now he is not a great hitter of spin, but he's a good hitter of pace. So when they have him in the shed, in the dugout, they'll be holding him off probably, you'd think, uh, until the seam comes on. I mean, to be fair, I haven't actually been doing that recently, but that's, you know, not the great <laughs> example. But that's what I would be doing personally if I had Lewis Gregory in my team. So I think it's very much a case of looking what the bowler has and what the bowler is, and then what the batter is, how they play their game. And I guess just trying to weigh up and see where their strengths and weaknesses are and pitting them against each other. Yeah, and if you are looking for clever things to say at the pub, matchups are a really good thing to say in general. Uh, Moen Ali, great player of spin, um, but... He doesn't necessarily love the ball, you know, really, you know, really, really fast deliveries early on. He's a good player of pace bowling, but he's so good against spin, highest striker against spin in the world, that you probably want to bowl a quicker bowler. So Trent Rockets, for example, probably going to bring on March and Delanger if Moen Ali's in, just to try and get his wicket. So yeah, look at the matchups and and that. And if you want a really clever thing to say, then uh, leg spin is just the best thing in the world. And just say, at any time anything happens, just say, just bring our leg spinner on. Problem solved. Problem <laughs> solved. But yeah, yeah, there's so many different ways to look at it, uh, Albert. I hope that is helpful. But yeah, matchups and kind of seeing what both sides are trying to attempt in that regard is a good way of going about it. I hope that helped. Uh, final question. We're really excited about this one. This is from Dom Hewitt. Thank you for this, Dom. He asks, if a Western Warriors team was created, which Gloucestershire Somerset player should they draft as local icons? Personally, I'd go for Howell and Smead, though Banton is a strong contender. Gregory Payne Hammond also among his thoughts. So this Western Warriors team would be created with the base counties of Somerset and Gloucestershire. You can have two players from them. Charlie, who are you taking? This is a great question because this is, I actually have uh, a set of notes in my phone where I pondered the exact same question <laughs> if it were to be the head coach of a Western Warriors team. Um, well, for me, as much as it pains me to, to rent the Birmingham Phoenix of all my favourite players, that's exactly what I have to do because I'm now yeah. competing against the Birmingham Phoenix. So I want their best players because I like their best players. Uh, so I'm probably also going to go Howell and Speed. I think when I'm approaching this, what I'm thinking is not not only what players that I want on my team, but what players do I not want other teams to have. Mm. Uh, and I think for me, Benny Howell is a good place to start because I think his skills are so unique. I think there's so few other players out there who can offer what he does with the ball. I think he's just such a valuable asset and I wouldn't want to play against him. So I want him on my team. 
And then for me, it's probably a straight toss-up between Sneed and Banton. Uh, and I'm going to give Will Smead just because I really, really love Will Smead. I think mm. he's a bit younger. This is a little bit more upside there. I love Tom Banton. I think he's going to be a superb cricketer. He already is a superb player. And I think his ceiling is very high. I'm very excited to see what he develops into. I just think Will Smead is a bit younger. And if I'm building a team for the future, which I want to do here, then it has to be Smead for me. Also because, again, I feel like right now I'd want to come up against Smead less than Banton. So I'm going Howland Smead, just like you, Dom. Yeah, it's interesting because Tom Banton is just 22 and I feel like there is a lot of there's a lot of really harsh and completely ridiculous conversation around him. I am completely fine with your picks. I get why you'd go Smead. For me, just as a nerdy statistical guy, there's not enough of a sample size for me to say that I'm going Smead over Banton. Uh, and that's fair. I understand it. I, I would go with Tom Banton. And look, we've seen some ridiculous comments from some very attention-seeking former cricketers who don't actually understand T20 cricket that much. I find it very ironic that a man who complained about getting dropped when he hit Nathan Lyon too long on when the field was on the boundary in a test match is complaining <laughs> about a T20 cricketer in the 100 trying to score runs quickly through the air. And attempting to <laughs> try to get Tom Banton to take tips from Steve Smith as a T20 cricketer is hilarious. But Steve Smith is a is not a very good T20 cricketer. He's not a very valuable T20 cricketer. So we could write about that. We won't because we don't listen to anything that former cricketer says because he's clearly an idiot. But I would go with Tom Banton. I think what's important to say here is that look, I, there's a, there's a lot of unknowns about Tom Banton. He's not in great form, but I think the pandemic has hit him hard, being in all those bubbles. It's just a tough time, and I think he's been struck by it. And I know he's not been in great form for the fire this year either, but I just think for me, there's a reason he got an IPL deal. There's a reason he's played for England, and you know I, I love Will Smead, but I think the sample size of Banton is bigger, and I'm backing him to come back stronger. And what I think would be important also is that morale booster saying, "Tom, you're going to be our guy. We are getting you as our local icon. We're going to give you a shed load of money, and you're going to deliver." I think that at Taunton would be would be really exciting. So I'm taking Tom Banton. The second player is tough for me. Because you talk about building a team for the future. That's where my concerns may be coming with Benny Howell. I love Benny, but he's 32. And I think if I'm looking for, you know, a team of the future, that could be an issue. Because next year, if we're starting the Western Warriors next year, he'll be 33. And I don't necessarily know how much longer he's got. Now, I think Benny Howell's really rare. I think he's really talented. And I think at Taunton, you need that kind of really high-class bowler to go to. Um, which is the reason I'm not taking Lewis Gregory because I don't think he's valuable enough as a lower order hitter at Taunton because you, anyone can hit pace at Taunton, I think. Um, so, yeah, I'm not so sure about Benny. I think it would be a toss-up between him uh, and probably oh, probably Miles Hammond or Will Smead. I think I'm going to go with Howell as well. I think I just think there's, there's probably three or four years left there, and I think if you look too much too far into the future, you can get yourself into trouble. So I'd probably go with Howell, Banton Howell. And then I would get two genuine, like legit overseas bowlers. Like I'd be uh, attacking Adam Milne if he became available, Mitchell Stark. I don't know, anyone who's, anyone like a really high class T20 operator is a seamer and then a really good spinner, but you need a good bowling attack there. So that's interesting, actually. What do you, what do you think on the, on the Banton thing? I know I've talked for quite a while there defending Tom Banton. I think Will Smith would be a good selection, but what do you make of that? I 
you know, I, I fully back you. I love Tom Banton. I echo everything you said. I think he's a really cracking player. He's had a tough time. I think he has been slightly mismanaged by England, and I think it's a real shame. Uh, I am fully backing to come back stronger. And to be honest with you, like I did go for Willis Mead, but I I wouldn't. I'm not complaining with Tom Banton at no, all. I'd happily no. take Banton. If I'm honest, I don't really have a hugely strong opinion either way. I'm happily taking up one or the other, and I'm very happy. So. I think he's a fantastic cricketer and I'm really backing to come back strong very soon. I hope he does because he's just a superb talent and we don't even know how, how high his ceiling is yet, but I suspect it is pretty high. We know that. Um, what I will say, actually, just to change something slightly away from Banton, is that I feel like all the players Dom has listed here are all pretty good options for a local mm. icon. Lewis Gregory, obviously captaining the Trent Rockets. Um, I do like him a lot. David Payne, Maybe I wouldn't go for it because of age slightly, but I still think he's a great operator. I do really like him. I'm happy having my team. Miles mm. Hammond, too. I think he's a really good cricketer. Um, I don't think he's an elite option necessarily, but I, I think he's a very unique batsman, and I think that's something that's always going to be valuable. Um, but I think, for me, how Smeed and Banton are free ones I'm leaning towards in terms of these are obviously local icon cricketers for me. Gregory, too, I'm going to include in that list. I think that, that, that those four, for me, scream local icons. I think any of those four very happy of those. So I think you've given us some good players there, Doc. Yeah. David Payne is a good player, but he's not an icon player, in my opinion. I think that's the kind of thing where I'd be really happy to have David Payne in my side, but I'm not picking him as a local icon. I'm backing that people will be stupid enough to let him go late in the draft would be my point. But yeah, you know, I completely agree. It's interesting in other words went for Gregory. It's interesting, I think, because obviously as a captain and as a, a batter, yeah, he's got loads of talent there, but I don't necessarily think that that's the most valuable option you can have compared to an opening batter and a really gun bowler when he's a bit bits and pieces at times. I agree. And I say to somebody who loves Lewis Gregory and has obsessed over Lewis Gregory for a number of years now, I do love Lewis Gregory, but I I feel like just the, the nature of his role in T20 cricket, I think is so specific that I don't, it's such a niche role, I think. Yeah. Kind of, you, you want him coming in at six or seven to hit the pace at the end, and you might get a few out of him, but I don't think his bowling is that strong. Mm. And I I think he's very good at what he does. I just feel like he could probably get what he does without it being a, a, a big bracket, very expensive local icon player, personally. Mm. So that's why I'm steering Cliff Gregory, personally, although I'd love to have him in my team, just not yeah. as a local icon. The one player we didn't mention that I will mention is Tom Abel. Hasn't played in the 100 so far um, because of injury, but he's a really unique player. Again, not someone I necessarily pick as an icon, but if I was the Western Warriors, Abel would be a player I'd be hugely interested in. Yeah, me too. I've mentioned before, I really, really rate Tom Abel. I love his ramps. I love his scoops. I think that's such a valuable asset. He's a real 360 hitter. I would definitely consider him for this. Like, do you know, I totally forgotten about him actually this. I, he'd definitely be on my radar for local icon. But if not, I would very, very strongly want to pay quite big money for him, I think. I know he's not played this season. That huge deal. We've not seen him yet in 100. I'm personally very excited to see him play for Phoenix. But hypothetically, if he was up on the market and I was selecting a Western team, I would want him. And I'd, I'd, I wouldn't pay 100k for him, but I'd, I think he's definitely around two or three pick for me. 
Yeah, I would, I would, I would love to pay some money to play, but I think that'd be good for the Western Warriors. So, thank you very much for listening to our mailbag episode. That was really great. Um, there's some really good questions in there. So, thank you so much for sending them in. We'll probably do a mailbag next, right after the tournament's finished. We might sneak one in next week. I don't know, but probably right after the tournament is finished. So, uh, please send your questions in for that to at Podcast Hundred on Twitter. That'd be great. And please check us out on Twitter at Podcast Hundred. Loads of great content there, and loads of great interview clips and stuff. Uh, check out all the other podcasts we've done we've got some great interviews out there and please rate review and subscribe to the podcast so thank you very much for listening please remember that 36 off 20 is a very good innings in the 100 and we'll see you next time